Turn your copy of God's Word to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 3, New Year's Wish. What would you ask for? God gives you one wish, just one, for the new year. What would you want? If you look at various surveys, when the question is posed, you've got one wish, what would you... <coughs> Asked for. The responses are always varied. Of course, there's the ever outwitting, self serving, I'd wish for a thousand more wishes. That's what I'd wish for, but I'm going to call that one out of bounds today. You can't wish for more wishes. You get one real wish. What would it, what would it be? Angel Van Atta says, my only wish is that my children grow to be very old after living full and happy lives. That's a reasonable wish. Another responder, Theseus says, to be loved back by the one person that I have loved since forever. Angie Ashbourne says, if I could make one wish, I'd want a trip to Las Vegas with some spending money. That's thinking small, isn't it? That's what, really what you want. Mandy F. says, I would simply ask for a day of peace and quiet to rest and catch up on my much-needed sleep. One wish and you blow it on going to sleep? Man, that's terrible. Not me. Anna Marie Rice, a fourth-grade teacher, encouraged her students to enter Tulsa's World Essay Contest which is asking the question, if I had only one wish. The winner, Kenzie McMillan, a, a nine-year-old fourth grader from Brassfield Elementary in Bigsby responded with the essay. I'll read you just a portion of Kenzie's essay. If I had one wish, I wish I could help people be happy. I would help people be happy by making music. Bands would play and people would dance and music would play in everyone's house and people would sing happy songs and then make hearts warm. And I would help people by laughing. There would be a lot of ha-ha-has and he-he-he's and it wouldn't even be on Christmas Day. People would joke around a lot in happy ways. I would help people be happy by smiling. Big, bright red lips would grin from ear to ear, and one person smiles, another smiles back. I would help people be happy by sharing. Clothing and food and toys and houses would be shared, and everybody would cooperate, and there wouldn't be any hungry people. I would help people be happy by giving hugs. Arms wrapping around friends, grandpas and grandmas and moms and dads and sisters and even brothers too, she writes, would hug. Hugs make people feel warm and happy and special. My wish would come true if everyone would make more music, laugh a little more, give away more smiles, share with others and hug one another. Kenzie won the contest, won a trip to Branson, Missouri, not only for herself but also for all of her classmates as well. That was a hypothetical question in the essay, maybe in a, a newspaper contest. But the question for Solomon today is not hypothetical because God is asking the question and God is able to deliver the one wish of the new king. You've got one wish, anything you want, 
what are you going to ask for? There was no clear heir to the throne of David. Some people were certain that Israel would never be the same after David's reign. David, her king, her shepherd boy, giant slaying, Saul evading king, was now old and feeble. He's in the bed, he's cold and he's shivering. They're putting blankets and blankets and blankets on David, but they could not keep the king warm. David had been such an effective ruler. He had made Jerusalem the capital. He gathered the plans and all the materials for the building of the temple. He had routed the Philistines on the left and he had routed the Philistines on the right. Never before had ancient Israel seen her boundaries expanded as they were expanded under the rule and the reign of King David. How do you follow a king like David? David not only captured the land, he captured the hearts of the people of Israel. The shepherd boy, the musician, the songwriter, the warrior, so many images of David, a man seeking after the very heart of God. The question begins all the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 9, all the way through chapter 20. When David is gone, who's going to rule and reign after David? The question looms large for the reader of the text. And so when we get to 1 Kings, we know we're going to face the inevitable, that David will not live forever. Who is going to follow King David during his reign? David subdued all the old enemies of Moab and Edom and Ammon and Syria and Philistia. Not only had he expanded Israel's borders, he had enriched her treasuries as well. And God had promised David that he would have an heir and on the throne of David, it would reign forever. Clearly, David could say what every leader hopes to say. David left the nation better than when he found it. As 1 Kings opens this book, David's health is the big question mark. The great fighter, the politician, the lover, now his circulation is not even efficient enough to keep himself warm in the bed. Even under all the blankets, his death is imminent and the question rings in the ears of the reader, who is going to replace the great king, David? Who will be this person? How will he be chosen? There was no clear succession model for Israel. Adonijah thinks he should be the next king. He is David's fourth son, but he is David's oldest surviving son. Absalom, the third oldest, died in revolt, trying prematurely to take the throne away from his father. And in the revolt, he killed the firstborn son, Amnon. Do you remember that? And then there's a secondborn son, Goliath, but he disappears from the whole story after a brief mention of his birth in 2 Samuel 3, 3. So we assume he's dead. So now the oldest son of David is the fourth son, Adonijah. Adonijah thinks it's reasonable that he should be the next king. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, we read these words. 
Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggis, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got the chariots and the horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. Adonijah, like his brother Absalom, he cannot wait for his father to die before he declares that he is the new king of Israel. The picture of Adonijah is clear. He's aggressive. He's self-possessed. He's a spoiled brat. He's never been corrected by his father. Now, David might have been great at a lot of things, but David was not a good disciplinarian as a dad. David never even asked him or tried to correct this son's behavior. And he was seeking the throne. Now, if you're familiar with the monarchs of ancient Israel, you know that you don't seek the throne. You remember Saul, the first king, didn't seek the throne. Saul was out looking for a lost donkey, wasn't he? And all of a sudden, the prophet Samuel sees him, and God, through Samuel, chooses Saul to be the next king. Saul does not seek the throne, Adonijah. You don't seek the throne. God brings the throne to you. Likewise, David, who followed. David didn't seek the throne. You remember, all of Jesse's boys came before the prophet, and there was David out, one of the younger sons, watching the sheep, a shepherd boy, and Jesse, don't you have any more boys? Well, there's the one. He's out, the young one. He's out watching the sheep. Go and get him. I won't sit down until he comes. And when David approaches the, the God, the Spirit of God says to the prophet Samuel, there's the one. But not Adonijah. Adonijah is self-chosen because he's the oldest, oldest son. He's seeking the seat the throne. His arrogance is furthered by the fact that he takes 50 men to run ahead of him. He's acting like he's a king and he has, hasn't even had a coronation. Now, the list of conspirators there in, in 1 Kings 1 verse 7 is, is he's got a, a very impressive list who are joining his party. First, there's Joab. Joab had been the chief military leader in David's regime, and David had removed him from that position of power. So Joab is placing his bet with Adonijah and says, I'll be the chief military man in the land again. I'll go with Adonijah. So Adonijah is there, a voice of power. And then there's Abiathar, the priest. He's a sole survivor of Saul's massacre of the house of Eli. You remember the priest Eli? So he's also among Adonijah's political power. So with these crackerjack cadets with Joab and Abiathar, Adonijah's supporters went to celebrate. The kingdom will surely be in his hand. Get in with the new king while you can. And even while, even while Adonijah is filling his face at the pseudo-coronation feast, Nathan the prophet, walks into Bathsheba and says, don't you remember? David said, your son will be king. 
So Nathan and Bathsheba scheme against King David or to bring clarity to his mind about what God had wanted. Bathsheba goes in before David on his deathbed and said, Did you not, O Lord, my king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me, and shall he sit on the throne? About that time, as planned, Nathan walks in and said, Yeah, that's right, David. You promised the throne to Solomon. Don't you remember David? David does remember his promise. This promise is not recorded anywhere in Scripture, but it is evidently true as Nathan and David and Bathsheba all acknowledge it. And there David declares that Solomon will be his successor and Zadok the priest takes a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anoints Solomon even as Samuel had anointed Saul and anointed David before him. And all the people began to shout, Long live King Solomon! Long live King Solomon! And the people were playing flutes and they were shouting and they were making a ruckus and turmoil and excitement and it sounded like an earthquake, verse 40 of 1 Kings 1. The people made such a roar over having the answer of who will follow David. There is a seismic sound, an earthquake-like sound. It would have made an Aggie football game sound as silent as a Sunday afternoon picnic. It was loud. Adonijah, who's a distance away with his pseudo-coronation party, feels the shaking of the ground and the roar of the people, even as he's finishing his feast. And Joab, the general of the new regime, hears the sound of military trumpets and horns, and he asks, what's going on? Why is the city in such an uproar? The new coronation, the new king is over here without Anijah. And then Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, comes, and they say, tell us, Jonathan, tell us what's the good news. And he says, oh, it's not good news. David has selected his son Solomon to be the new king. All the guests who wanted to invite to the new king's party, they disappear all of a sudden. Adonijah himself is a coward. He runs to grab the horns of the altar, begging for mercy for having prematurely self-pronounced his kingship. By the end of chapter 2, Solomon has fulfilled his deathbed promises to his father David. He's put to death Adonijah and all of that regime. And the kingdom was established in the hands of Solomon. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, what do you wish me to give you? God appears to Solomon in a dream at night. And, and God says, what is it? What's your wish? What shall I give you as a new king? What would you have asked for? A man who's a mere shadow of his father, David. A large nation with unreasonable expectations of its new ruler. There was pressure from above on the new king. There was pressure from below. There was pressure from the right hand. There was pressure from the left hand. What are you going to ask for if you're Solomon? And you're trying to fill the shoes 
of the giant slayer, David. Do you ask for more riches for the king's treasury? Do you ask for a long reign so that yours becomes the longest of all? Do you ask to reign for a long, long time, long live the king? What would you ask for? What would you seek from God today as we begin a new year, 2022? What shall he gift you with that you might do life better? What is your heart's desire? What are you longing for from God? If you only had one wish, place yourself in Solomon's shoes. What do you ask for God to give you? Look at verse 7. And now, O Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant David and the place of my father, servant king, the place of my father David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. Now, figuratively speaking, Solomon wasn't a child king like you've heard historically of maybe an Egyptian child king. He wasn't a child king. What he's saying is, man, I don't know how to come in. I don't know how to go out. So verse 9. An understanding heart, O oh God, to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of thine? God, I, I don't know anything like my father David. I don't know how to come in or how to go out. I don't know how to be a king. And you have such a great nation you've called, O oh God, how shall a rule or a reign? Give me an understanding heart. Give me a discerning heart. Give me a listening heart that I may judge your people with wisdom. A receptive heart, a hearing heart. Oh, Lord, he's saying, make me attentive. Make me receptive. Make me understanding. Give me the discernment to discriminate when I'm making, making decisions and I see it on the throne of judgment. Who among us doesn't desire a double dose of God's wisdom? We are literally drowning in an age of information. We've got more information at our fingertips than any generation living to this date. And yet we do not have the wisdom of God with which to make decisions. How to live life. How to be wise. How to solve problems. How to use wisdom. A wise old gentleman retired and bought himself a house, maybe mistakenly, near a junior high school. He spent the first few weeks of his retirement in peace, and pleasantry. And then the new school year began. The very next afternoon, three young boys came down the street beating on the metal trash cans, playing them like they were percussion instruments. They were full of youthful after-school enthusiasm. They came down the alley beating all the trash cans. It was a deafening sound to the old man who thought he bought a house on a little quiet street. He had about a week of these percussion performances by the junior high students going home and, well, he knew he had to do something. So stopped them and he said, I see you kids are having a lot of fun. Man, I appreciate your youthful exuberance. 
It really sounds good. You're quite good on these trash cans. I'll tell you what, there were three of them. I'll pay you each a dollar every day if you'll beat these trash cans really loudly all the way as you go home. Would you do that for me? A dollar a day. Beat the trash cans. Come back to me. I'll give you your dollar. That went on for a week. He paid each of them a dollar a day. And then he met them one day with a very sad face and said, you know, there's a recession on. He says, I can't pay you a whole dollar anymore to beat those trash cans. I'm going to have to cut it down to 50 cents. I'm sorry. Are you still in? Will you still please beat the trash cans for 50 cents? I beg you, keep, keep performing, will you? And the boys every day, they didn't like it, but for the next week they came by and they beat all the trash cans on the street, made that horrendous sound, those metal trash cans. And, well, that went on for another week and he met them with a frown and said, you know, there's something wrong with my social security check. It hadn't been deposited yet. I'm going to have to drop you again, boys. I'm sorry. But I have to take you down to 25 cents. Would you do it for 25 cents? Would you come by and beat the trash cans all the way home for 25 cents? And the leader group said, listen, mister, you think we're going to do this for a lousy quarter? You're crazy. We quit. And no more beating of the trash cans. Wisdom. An understanding heart. Listening, discerning. The old man had the gift of wisdom, the ability to solve a problem with wisdom and grace. May God give us the ability to see problems from another person's perspective, to have a listening and understanding heart. I've noticed one thing for certain, you don't have to be a pastor or a counselor. When the world has problems, the world is going to come to you. There's something about God's people and the presence of His Spirit in our lives. The grace with which you live, the wisdom you show, you seeming to have things to gather to those in the workplace. And so when the storms of life come, they're coming to your cubicle. They're coming to your classroom. They're coming to your office. When the trials of tribulation, this life strike them, they'll pose the question. When their basket is full and they need help. May God give you a wise and a listening heart. Look at verse 10. It is pleasing beside the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing, and God said to him, Because you've asked for this thing, and now not asked for yourself a long life, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for a life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself discernment, to understand justice. Behold, I've done according to your words. Behold, I've given you a wise and a discerning heart. So there'll be no one like you before you, nor shall there be one like you after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor. So there will not be any among the kings like you in all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. And Solomon awoke and behold, it was all a dream. And immediately he's put to the test. You can hear the harlots hollering now. 
He's mine. No, he's mine. That's my baby. Do you give me back my baby? What is all the, the ruckus the king asks? And, and one harlot says, we live together in a house and no one else lives there with us. And well, during the night, her baby died and she came and traded babies and left me the day baby. And I woke up and my, my baby was dead. And then I noticed the birthmark was different. And it wasn't my baby. And tell her to give me back my baby. That, that's my baby. The living baby is my baby. And, and, and the king called for a sword. Adam laid the baby out before him and almost like he was drawing a dotted line across the midriff of the little boy. He said, it's easy. We'll cut the baby in half. You'll get your portion. She'll get her portion. Fair is fair. Oh, no, said the first lady. Don't do that. She can have the baby. She can have the baby. No, no, the other lady said, fair is fair. Cut the baby in half. Give us each our half. The king said, give the son back to his mother. For the first woman who wishes the boy life is the true mother. God gave Solomon, wisdom beyond measure. Chapter 4 and verse 29, Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men. Verse 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs. You've got some of them in the book here for you to read. And his songs are 1,005. Verse 34. And men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon. For all the kings of the earth had heard of Solomon's wisdom. They traveled from far and wide, even from the east, to come and hear, to sit at the feet of Solomon in all of his wisdom. God's going to bring some decisions your way in 2022. People will come and sit at your cubicle. They'll catch you in a teacher's lounge. A spare moment at the bank. Or in the supply closet at the hospital. They're going to say, here's my problem. What do I do? What would you do? May God give his people a listening, understanding heart that we can guide people to God and his word. An old man got on a bus one February the 14th carrying a dozen red roses. He sat beside a young man. The bus was full that day, and the young man kept staring at that dozen red roses on Valentine's Day and said, man, somebody's going to get a, a beautiful Valentine's gift. Look at the dozen roses. Yes, said the old man. A few minutes later, the old man noticed his young companion was still staring at that rose. He says, well, do you have a girlfriend? Oh, yes, I do, said the young man. I'm going to see her right now. I'm riding the bus, and I'm bringing her this. And he held up a card, a Valentine's card in his hand. They rode along for another 15 minutes in silence. 
As the old man got off the bus, he took the dozen red roses and handed them over to the young man. And he said, I think my wife would want you to have these. I'll tell her I gave them to you. The bus quickly left, and as the bus pulled away, the young man watched the old man as he entered the cemetery that day. One wish for the new year. Oh God, give us a listening, a receptive, understanding heart. Let us pray. Oh God, you have divine appointments already set for everyone in this room. Everyone who's called Jesus Lord is a bearer of your spirit and will be going into the workplace carrying your word and your wisdom. Oh God, may we stop and hear the hearts of people this year. May our hearts be in tune with their cares. May we be your hands and your feet. May we listen and may we utter your wisdom. Amen.